You're listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, we're talking about the silliest things we can think of. Happy 100th! Life, the Universe, and Everything Else is a program promoting secular humanism and scientific skepticism produced by the Winnipeg Skeptics. You can email your questions, comments, or criticisms to us at l-u-e-e-podcast at winnipegskeptics.com. Show notes, references, and relevant links can be found at l-u-e-e-podcast.wordpress.com or at winnipegskeptics.com slash blog. My name is Jem Newman, and joining me to celebrate 100 episodes of Life, the Universe, and Everything Else, we have Laura Creek Newman. Hi there. Ashlyn Noble. Hello. Lauren Bailey. Happy anniversary. And Ian James. It's really an all-star, all-star panel today. <laughs> <laughs> so how's everyone doing? Awesome. Woo! Very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you burn out $400 worth of hard drives on the weekend, too? Oh, Ouch. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Actually, All of my Jim. terabytes are gone. Oh no. How are you, Jim? Uh, I'm as good as can be expected. But we're gonna have a fun show. Uh, Woo, we super are going fun. to start things off uh, by talking about the most absurd pseudosciences and conspiracy theories we could think of, and then we're gonna finish off the show with uh, me getting to know our panelists a little bit better by subjecting them to a series of hard-hitting interview questions. That we have not been prepared for. Yes. Or at least I didn't, so I'm whatever <laughs> happens to come my way, I'm just gonna have to answer. So we uh, also have a few old friends joining us uh, for that segment at the end that might be familiar to long-time listeners of Life, the Universe, and everything else. So without further ado, let's start the silliness with Ashlyn. Why don't you tell us about biodynamic agriculture? Yeah, so this was the most hilarious thing I could find on the list of, I think it was pseudosciences uh, on Wikipedia, which is a fantastic list, by the way, if you ever want to go oh, uh, check yeah, it we'll out. Link to it's that. great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as far as I can tell, biodynamic agriculture is basically homeopathy for plants. <laughs> <laughs> So they're very big on uh, sustainability and treating the uh, farm as one big unit. So the animals and the soil and the crops, they're all one system that feeds back into itself, which I kind of get. That's not bad. That kind of mm -hmm. works for me. Okay. Yeah. And there have been some indications that this kind of farming is more resilient to uh, environmental change and uh, more energy efficient. So those are good things. Energy efficient how? I don't know. Oh, okay. That's just a claim they make. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the manure from the cows fertilizes the plants. It's probably something like and that, it, yeah. It's a whole life cycle of a sub, sub, okay, subsistence so farm. You don't need to put all of the inputs in yourself before yeah. you get the outputs. Yeah. Some of the byproducts, you know. Yeah. yeah, and you probably you don't sure. need as much mechanization for things because the animals do some of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The goats keep the lawn clipped. <laughs> yeah. and Yay, goats! <laughs> but where the uh, woo comes in is these field preparations that people who use biodynamic agriculture are encouraged to use. The basic ones are numbered uh, 501 to 508. These are the, uh, the original ones that the founder of this kind of science came up with uh, in his 
uh, lectures in the 1800s, I believe. I like that. It's it's kind of science. <laughs> it's kind of science, yeah. And actually, he was really big. Uh, the founder of this guy on... He was a giant. He was enormous, yeah. Built down man. He was, <laughs> he was a big fan of testing these hypotheses. I don't know how he tested them, <laughs> because as you'll see... Uh, there's clearly no basis in any kind of logic here. <laughs> okay, kind of like homeopathic provings, you exactly. know? Like Hahnemann yeah, himself yeah. was very fond of testing things on a single person or a couple of people by writing stuff down, I guess. Yeah, that might be it. I'm Sounds sorry, I'm just legit. trying to find the... Uh, Hubbard's experiments on his clears. It was, oh, it was 1928 when this kind of started. And uh, there are... A hundred and uh, just under 150 hectares of land that is uh, cultivated in this way, and uh, almost 50% of that is in Germany. So this is a big right. thing in Germany. So, again, like homeopathy. <laughs> like homeopathy, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, these uh, field preparations. This is the best part of this. The one that I like is crushed powdered quartz prepared by stuffing it into a horn of a cow and buried into the ground in spring and taken out in autumn. <laughs> The mixture is sprayed under very low pressure over the crop during the wet season in an attempt to prevent fungal diseases. It should be sprayed on an overcast day or early in the morning to prevent burning of the leaves. Wow. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. So, what is it about the quartz going into the cow's horn that then makes it amazing? I can't tell you. That, okay. That, you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of the criterion for uh, Vogons doing anything at all in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> buried in soft peat for six months and then unearthed, lost and found again. <laughs> it reminds me of there was a medieval cure for war. It's about rubbing a frog on you at full moon while standing at a crossroads. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's exactly like that. It's, it's like moon letters in thinking. Lord of the Rings, you know? Yes. The, the moon has to be the same moon as it was when that quartz was formed. So let me read you another few of these, and that's really all I have to say, so... Uh, our... <laughs> this is absurd on its face. You exactly. don't even need to bother Yeah, I don't need to explain it. anything. Uh, so these are compost preparations used for preparing uh, compost uh, that are then turned into the soil. Chamomile blossoms stuffed into small intestines from cattle buried in hummus-rich earth in the autumn and retrieved in the spring. Uh, <laughs> oak bark chopped into small pieces placed inside the skull of a domesticated animal surrounded by peat and buried in earth in a place where lots of rainwater runs past. Does the domesticated animal have to be dead or is it buried with stuff in its head? doesn't specify. Any, <laughs> any domesticated, any domesticated animal. A lot of these are cattle based, which I guess <laughs> is probably why what they farm there. So this is okay. the whole like animals and soil being the same system. But you could use, say, a cat. Yeah, sure. Laura, I found a use for our cat. I hate you. <laughs> I am taking your cat away from you. <laughs> so anyway, that's biodynamic agriculture. It is homeopathy for plants. So uh, we're going to move now to a related pseudoscience. Uh, Laura, why don't you tell us a little bit about pyramid power? Well, pyramid power is something that I'd actually forgot about for a little while until I started thinking about this. And I said, oh, yeah, that's a thing. How on earth <laughs> is that a thing? Um, and I'm going to get to how it's specifically related to Ashlyn's segment Ooh. there. So if anybody hasn't heard of Pyramid Power, um, has, you have not heard of Pyramid Power. Everybody else has heard of Pyramid Power in one form yeah. or another. Yeah. Okay. I saw it on the Mythbusters. Yes. So <laughs> it was popularized for a lot of people by the episode of Mythbusters where they tested some of the Pyramid Power claims. So um, depending on what source you look at, there is a lot of claims made for the power of pyramids. Um, 
They include, uh, it, they produce negative ions, don't know how, but they do, which will help us heal and prevent the negative effects of things like air pollution. Yes, Wait, Ian. May I? Yes. When you say pyramid, <laughs> do you just mean a thing in the shape of a pyramid? Yes. A thing? A thing. So like <laughs> so, popsicle sticks yes. glued together yeah. in a pyramid Absolutely. has the same power the as a... The shape of the pyramid but... is somehow... Amazing. And I was going to actually get to that. But oh, I'm wait, sorry. No, okay. they produce down. negative ions, but not the corresponding positive wait, ions? There's too wait. many positive ions caused by pollution and whatnot. And so pyramids produce additional negative ions. But where does the corresponding... Jem, you're asking too many questions. But ionization... Jem, you're asking too just many questions. Just go with it. Pyramids produce negative ions. I just wanted to know up front if it was just... Anything. Okay. It's pretty much anything in the shape of the pyramid. Your so, hands steepled like that, Ian? Yep, it, that's pyramid a, power. Oh, Question. Yes. yes. <laughs> if it's an upside-down pyramid, are they positive ions? Oh, good question. Whoa! I know how this too works. Far. That is, that's that silly, is... Lauren. Come on. This, this is, is a, a science yeah. show. <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry. Okay. Laura. No, that's okay. I'm just saying what the claims are. Another one that's really well known is that pyramids prevent decomposition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th I think that's mummification, actually. I think <laughs> oh, the Egyptians just happened to. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. Because remember, we're just talking about pyramid shapes. So, yes. The claim is that a pyramid shape will cause things to dry out and mummify instead of rot and or take perishable things of any kind and you put it under a pyramid. Now, keep in mind, these pyramids don't actually have to be solid structures. They can just be, like Ian said, like popsicle sticks made in the shape of a pyramid and you are supposed to be able to put fruit or vegetables or milk or something like that under it and it's supposed to last two to three times longer than average. Are they filled with Freon? <laughs> Yeah, they, why, it's why pyramid power, man. Like pyramid power. Um, also, it's supposed to Storage help uh, plants grow better. I've seen that where people put, put the pyramids, hollow... Yeah, because plants grow better yeah, and I've, they I've, have that, more that nutrients, seen, apparently. Actually. Anyway, so that's another claim. That's a very common one. Um, and they so they'll sell you like countertop pyramids to put your produce under instead of a fruit bowl or something. My um, head hurts. This one is my favorite because it doesn't go with any of the other claims. It's going to sharpen your razor blades. <laughs> awesome so it's supposed to either sharpen your razor blades or keep them sharp and that may or may not have something to do with aligning uh the razor blades north south with the magnetic field are there razor blade chakras <laughs> yeah there is a surprising number of references to chakras as you read through this information so anyway it's not so, so surprising well are razor blades made of magnetic material typically they're not, uh, typically I don't think they're, they're steel right they, so well, i mean I it's an alloy so it's no longer really magnetic i don't think anyway so this is a claim i'm just going through the claims here guys mm -hmm. i haven't even gotten yeah, to the good stuff the, yet i haven't got to the substance there's some things that just vaguely say oh it'll increase sexual feelings and urges <laughs> um and then uh when you meditate under a pyramid it will cause a heightened sense of awareness a greater sense of well-being relaxation rejection of stress etc it'll make for a much better stock photo yes um and then there's many others a lot of the claims are uh, variations of other things so these are just some of the things that pyramids can do for you so pyramid power uh the idea of this 
first really got popularized in Europe in the 1930s by Antoine Bovis, who was a dowser. He was a well-established dowser using a pendulum. And uh, he had visited the Great Pyramids of Giza, and he thought, oh, the, the Egyptians must have been great dowsers because they made these amazing pyramids that are on these axes. And look at this cat that died here. It dried out. It didn't <laughs> rot. But the air is always humid in a pyramid. Therefore, pyramid power causes magic things. I would like to contest the claim that air in a pyramid is humid. <laughs> yeah. Is it um, really? Is that a thing? I don't know. Okay. It's probably cool. It's probably more humid than the air outside. But this is also sure. the Sahara. Yeah. So I don't know how humid it can get. Don't I don't know. Very... Maybe it can get humid it's in some in places. Nile. But in any case, it's not a place known for its, you know, dripping off your face humidity. Yeah. And, and if it is indeed humid inside a pyramid, I think that is hardly a result of the pyramid. No, no. a result right. of it being <laughs> right. a cool, sheltered place. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so after Antoine Bovis made this discovery and started popularizing it. This theory was then popularized in North America in the 70s um, by some paranormal authors. And then also in the 30s to 40s and then into the 70s as well, it was further popularized by Karl Drobel from Czechoslovakia. And he was really the main proponent of the razor blade theory thing. Razor blade theory. <laughs> God. It's kind of a good so, name for a band. Razor blade, blade theory. <laughs> Jim, you want to join my band, Razor Blade? Yeah, I'm there. Okay. So how is this supposed to work? Well, as I mentioned, some of the claims are that pyramids produce negative ions. Uh, some people will say that the five angles of the pyramid will focus beams of radiation to the middle and then out the top, and this somehow gives it magic powers. Oh, wait, so um, this only works on those stupid, like... It's only... It's, it's four-sided. Yeah. Well, it's, not, it's like square-based pyramids. It's not no triangular-based But triangular pyramids. pyramids are the best pyramids. No, you are categorically By what measure? Wrong. By the measure of symmetry. The, <laughs> the most important measure of all. Okay, so uh, it may or may not focus a beam of radiation. Uh, also... I think that's generous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. The, the jury's still out. <laughs> pyramids also are supposedly attracting and concentrating cosmic particles like tachyons and other things. <laughs> tachyons interact with nothing that is not pyramid-shaped. That's why they're so hard to detect. <laughs> you could just um, put some pyramids into the LHC, right? Yeah. So, Sorry, Laura. No. That's <laughs> okay. This is why I chose this one, because it's hilarious. Um, also, they pyramids will somehow shield to certain energies, so they will shield out negative energies, no examples given, and encourage positive energies within the pyramid, again, no examples given of either positive or negative energies. But um, wait, what, what do you mean energies? Um, I don't know, that's what the sources said. <laughs> Energy is the capacity of a system Gem? to accomplish work. I don't know. Not the real thing. Oh, oh, oh the, <laughs> the, the fake, fake energy, energy thing. Okay, yes. right, okay, mm. right, sorry. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Not physics so, energy. No. Th those are the best proposed um, ideas of how they work. The actual original popularizers really didn't have any mechanism of how this would work. They just said, oh, pyramids must be awesome and magical. So, of course, some of the problems with pyramid power, um, well, we've already discussed a lot of them. Other problems include uh, conflicting ideas of what the pyramid should be made of. Some sources say that they shouldn't be made of metals. Other sources say that they can be made of certain metals. 
Um, usually, though, they all agree that it shouldn't be made of any ferromagnetic metals because something about the ferrous ions reorienting to magnetic north and that would make the pyramid lose its power. <laughs> but see, couldn't you also make the exact same claim and say that it, that's what gives it its power? So, yes. Um, some sources say that the pyramids must be aligned with magnetic north. Others say it must be aligned with true north. And uh, uh, some sources will say that while being inside a pyramid can be good for plant growth and for humans, you can actually overdose on the energy. It can become too much. <laughs> so you shouldn't spend all of your time in a pyramid. And some plants may wilt within the pyramid. So you should back off to a three-sided pyramid <laughs> if you get too, too much. <laughs> there you go, Jeb. <laughs> it's a starter pyramid. Yeah, right. Tiny okay, house. So if it doesn't work... It's too much pyramid. <laughs> so how does this relate to biodynamic farming? Well, did you guys know that we have a 8% scale pyramid here in Canada of the Giza pyramid? The great one? I did not know that. No. It's in Kelowna. Huh. Not surprised. It's a winery. Yeah. <laughs> so they believe in pyramid power. And uh, I'm not going to say the name, but I'm sure you can figure out who it is. <laughs> and um, they believe that they've been doing tests for 17 years since they owned the, the winery. And uh, they've been aging wine within the pyramid and outside of it. And the taste tests that happen at 2 o'clock every day, people always say that the pyramid-aged wine tastes better and is fuller Whoa. and whatever it is that makes wine good. I assume these are the double-blinded controlled trials. Sure. No. <laughs> um, so yes, and of course they have their pyramid built to scale aligned. It is the most perfectly aligned pyramid outside of the original Great Pyramid in Giza, aligned apparently. To, aligned to what? I don't know. They okay. don't say. I couldn't figure that out. Ley lines. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, and, and, and this lovely winery practices biodynamic agriculture, and they even Ooh. list the field preparations that they practice, including Ooh. 500 through 508. Yay! So this, this winery gives you not only pyramid power, but biodynamics. So, so if ever quartz you're... buried in cow parts. Awesome. Yes, something like that. On their website, it even says, crushed powdered quartz is stuffed into a cow horn. They think this sounds plausible. Oh, they fully buy in. <sighs> Holy crap. So, um... Hey, if you're ever in the interior of BC, you know, uh, or the Okanagan Valley, maybe you want to check that out for fun. I do have cow horns and quartz at home. Mm -hmm. We can do an experiment. Excellent. No thanks. Experiments? <laughs> That's not what these people are looking for. <laughs> these people must be so different from me is what I think when I when I see stuff like that. Like, how does it, does these things connect in your brain to make something that makes sense? There's some people, Agreed. there's some people on my Facebook that I should probably exercise from my that that they do post the odd like oh I got a new crystal today it makes me feel so <laughs> tranquil and you know the the oh the the moon is in the second house of Jupiter that must mean that blah 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 and, I just, and Jupiter aligns with Mars I love that song. <laughs> anyway, and you know, as a skeptic, or I'd like to think I am one, I have to like literally close the computer to stop myself from just being like, "What? How can you think such things?" Just sick Ashlyn on him. But Shoot. then there comes that point where, as as I'm sure we've all come to, where we just sort of say, eh, "Do you boo?" You know, if you if that's what you want to believe and it makes you happy, as long as you keep it out of my face and and not my Facebook. Um, <laughs> Because I, I haven't I haven't gotten rid of these people yet. They are still on my on my Facebook. But as mm -hmm. long as you don't bring it to my house, I think we can be 
cordial. Yeah, sure. mom. But man, you just want to you just want to shake these people and be like, no, stones <laughs> from the ground does not give you magic power. Yeah, I, I don't I really care it. one way or the other, but I just it, you know, I, and I, I'd love to have a conversation with them and just be like, you know what? But you also don't want to crush their like. That's the thing I'm sort of afraid of. Is not that I'm the most you know dynamic debater on the planet, and I could really actually convince anyone. But if a small part of them is really latching on to this idea of you know things buried in the earth to make them feel better and pyramids and things that's what really makes them happy and if you crush that and then all of a sudden they're just a husk of what they used to be <laughs> then you, you put you them wanna... into a cow horn and bury them in some <laughs> yeah like what you know what i'm saying like yeah. you don't want to like completely just destroy their 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 whole their yeah. whole vision of their life but well, the vision of my life that I have is based around the idea that Paul McCartney actually died in a car crash. Whoa. Two Segway. Ago. Ian, you're not going to crush my my reason for living, are you? Yep. Yep, I am. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Jem. So when Jem said that uh, we should all pick this, uh, um, pick a subject to talk about, I actually had no idea uh, what to, to speak on. Jem actually gave, the, gave me the idea of the Paul McCartney is dead conspiracy, which I said... Absolutely, because I have to do zero research for it because I already know it all. Um, I won't get into the whole because I mean, there's there's years and years of 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 of, uh, of backstory, and I think pretty much everyone knows what Paul is dead conspiracy is. However, I will very briefly gloss it over. Supposedly, Paul McCartney died, as Jem said, in a car crash, and to keep the Beatles going, they concocted this plan to get a lookalike to fill his role so that obviously the whole world wouldn't crumble knowing that a beetle had died. <laughs> well, um, it was 1966. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> so strangely, they decided to give clues to the audience that he was dead so that if you figured it out, then it would still destroy the earth. Or, or is it like you win something? <laughs> I, I have no idea, but supposedly... You, you win a relic from the, <laughs> from the McCartney reliquary? Yes. So, you can be on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's. Suppo- supposedly for the next several albums, they gave clues that he had died, although they then sort of like... Well, I guess there is some stuff on Abbey Road that apparently they... Especially in the artwork that says that that's... Well, he was um, walking backwards. He was carrying a cigarette in the wrong hand. Yeah, there's... I mean, I don't want to... We could. Uh, we could talk for an hour as to all the clues that people have come up with as to why they think Paul is dead. Like, for example, in the famous Abbey Road picture, he's the only one walking barefoot. And there is supposedly some cultures around the world that bury their dead barefoot. Like Blipperpudlians? Or, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and the 28 if. Word. The 28 if. So, yes, in that same famous picture of them walking across the street, there's a car in the background that has a license plate that says 28 if, meaning he had, if he had, if he had lived, he would have been 28 you know, and I mean, it goes on and on and on, and we, I'm, you know, I won't get into all the specifics. I will say two things, though. One, I saw whomever it was when he toured in Winnipeg last year, two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was Paul McCartney or not. <laughs> and if Paul McCartney, the man, did actually die, the person that they got re- to replace him is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> So how they lucked out on getting two brilliant performers <laughs> to join their, and then, you know, to, to, to look like him and dress like him and act like him. But damn, is that guy ever talented, whomever he may be. But he's got the hair lip, and that's why he grew the mustache. Ah, of course, yes. <laughs> but that is one talented son of a b- I don't know if whoever's listening to this, if they saw Paul McCartney when he was on tour last year, two years ago, 
That was an incredible show. Probably one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life. So whomever that man is, he deserves my money. <laughs> and secondly and lastly, there is a documentary that was on Netflix, I don't believe it's on there anymore, called Paul McCartney Really Is Dead, The Last Testament of George Harrison. It's amazing. I watched this, and basically it weaves together all the clues that the fans had supposedly uh, come up with, from the backwards talking on the records to the, you know, the, the imagery on the album art and blah, 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 blah. And they sort of, they, they kind of wove together this, this tale of how it happened and in what order and all this. And in no time during the documentary did they say, like I was expecting at the end, because it's, first of all, it's a steaming pile of horse It's the, one of the most offensive things I've ever seen <laughs> as a Beatles fan. And then I didn't, I was hoping at the end, the director, whose name is Joel Gilbert, would come on and be like, okay, folks, I'm, I hope you enjoyed this movie. It is not true. We fabricated the movie entirely uh, altogether, uh, but we just wanted to do this to show you how facts can sometimes seem related and how you can sometimes get a through line with a bunch of facts. So think critically. Don't believe everything you hear. Thank you and good night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you that message that did not happen. No. Oh, man. Uh, but on IMDb, it does say that it is a mockumentary. So I don't know if maybe he, the director came out afterwards and said, yes, I just made it all up. Or, okay, because there's one, sorry, there's one important thing about this documentary that I did not mention. He claims in this documentary that on George Harrison's deathbed, he recorded himself confessing that the Beatles did indeed fabricate this entire thing and Paul McCartney really is dead and he recorded himself into like a you know a dictaphone or whatever and I might add that despite the fact that he was supposedly in a hospital the recording quality is excellent (laughs) studio quality recording Uh, and his accent is not even close to the accent that George Harrison has but that's neither here nor there but anyway he was dying your voice changes You, you become more American when you die and so supposedly these these recordings were dropped off at the office of a journalist or whomever it was, and then George Harrison died, so he left these tapes for everyone to discover to, to, that finally they admitted that, that, that Paul McCartney's really dead. So that premise is so offensive to me that, uh, like, just... It's like the fact that Darwin had a deathbed conversion to Catholicism or whatever. Yeah, right? like, yeah. you know, here's a CD that he recorded. Like, no, it, it, so the claims that they make in this documentary are... I mean, and it even goes into, like, past the Beatles period to when, you know, Lin- Linda McCartney passed away and, and things of that nature and, and his new wife with the no leg and all this. It's Heather Mills. Heather, yes, thank you. The point of this whole thing is that the conspiracy, I don't think, is as really popular now. I'm, I don't think anybody really truly believes it, like some of the other ones that we've talked about that people do mm-hmm. clearly believe that if you bury some <laughs> in the ground for a while, it'll whatever, whatever it does. <laughs> But there was a time there where, where fans were clamoring until, I would say, you know, last 20 years or so, probably, um, that they thought that Paul McCartney was really dead. Uh, and that just is stupid. Well, I think, yes. I think Wings put paid to it because nobody but a musical right. genius could have written ba- Maybe I'm Amazed. We could, again, sarcasm, we, could, but... we could talk on for millions of years about why you would do that as a, as a successful business enterprise like the Beatles. So you, you, you concoct this whole thing, but yet you then try to poke holes in it. Like you like, ah, let's see if they figure it out. Well, let's, let's just do this and see what happens. LSD. Anyway, if you, if you get a chance to watch the documentary, Beatles fan or not, I would recommend it because it will make you angrier than anything else. It, it, took, <laughs> me, really bad recommendation. it, it took me two sittings to get through it. I had to stop halfway through 
and I don't it's, know, do something educational. We should, we should and go watch back to it, it the next day. Like I we, did some math for a while. Like we, like we watched that electromagnetic movie. Yeah. Resonance. Resonance. Yeah. Uh, uh, beings, beings of, of frequency. frequency. <laughs> yes, we should watch this. Paul McCartney's really dead. It's it just makes you want to vomit. <laughs> That is all. It does sound like a very offensive documentary, but is it, is it like Nazi level offensive? Well, I don't know. I was uh, thinking that maybe Lauren might tell us a little bit about Nazis. Oh. And how... I'm not going to talk about Nazis, Jim. I'm going to talk about Nazis on the moon. Whoa, space Nazis! Space oh my Nazis. God! We're space Nazis, Nazis on the moon. <laughs> that was <laughs> running through my head all day. <laughs> My God, that was in my head all day. But, <laughs> what is that movie called? Iron Sky? Iron Sky. Iron Sky, yeah. yeah. Ah, yes, but yes, yes. <laughs> we can blame this on Heinlein. You can blame a lot of things on Heinlein. <laughs> the only thing good that Heinlein ever did was write a pro-war propaganda piece that turned into an anti-war Paul Verhoeven movie that I oh, love. Oh, God, that movie is so good, and that book is <laughs> so, so bad. bad. <laughs> you know, I did like The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, together. <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> all right. Space Nazis, which is actually the Wikipedia title. <laughs> After World War II, rumors circulated that German astronauts had traveled to the moon and established a top-secret facility there. Some speculated that Adolf Hitler faked his own death, fled the planet, and lived out the rest of his days in an underground lunar hideout. What? This, there, there's a whole bunch on it, but this is pretty much the gist of it. And uh, Heinlein wrote a science fiction novel called Rocket Ship Galileo in his, you know, Stories for Boys that he was writing in the late 40s that talked about these kids going up, their special rocket went up to the moon and they found these Nazis and they kicked some Nazi ass on the moon. <laughs> so, yep, that's pretty much the entire conspiracy. And so is this a thing that people still believe? Well, it's not really big anymore, but that I, Iron yeah. Sky came out just a couple years ago, and I hadn't heard of it until I was doing the research for this. Yeah, I, I, Jem showed me the trailer, and I didn't know oh, anything about this. That was the trailer for the, for the right. sequel that's yeah. coming out. And I'm just like, what? With, with lizard people. What yeah. is this? There's what is this thing? In the in sequel. The sequel. Yeah, yeah, they're Nazi lizard people. <laughs> in the whole Earth. <laughs> yeah. How did they get to the moon? This special Nazi rocket ship program that was happening, you know, uh, in the in the thirties and did, going all the way through. Did, the war was a cover for it. Didn't you see Captain oh. America: The First Avenger? They had access to all sorts of. They had uh, mad technology. Yeah. yeah. They, you know, the Reich was the cover for the Nazi space uh, okay. explorations. <laughs> and 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 so after they <laughs> went up and Hitler saved himself on the moon. Yeah, they had um, a moon There base. was no evidence of a rocket program here. It was on the dark side of the moon. No, no, no. But, oh, like, but the you far need, like... side of the moon. The far side of the moon, not the dark side. Every side is the dark side. <laughs> you need, like, launch pads and stuff like that. They bombed Dresden, Laura. Oh, Never forget. Okay. <laughs> Wait, did, didn't we bomb Dresden? That's who I meant by they. Oh, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What side are you on here? <laughs> there are some new facts coming to light around no, this table. No, no. No, I'm just joking. Strictly pro-allies. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so they sent a rocket up to space. Several. Several of them. They built there the moon base. There is no launch pads left. Nope. At it, all. It hit the moon right in the eye, uh, yep. from what I understand. Um, that was a different kay. movie. And <laughs> they, a great movie. Yeah. So they spent World War II building a lunar base and then had a giant war on Earth to distract us? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's kind of it, yeah. Okay. And, and then but Hitler some little... then ascended to this lunar base. Yeah, right? because That's he couldn't find like... his hollow Earth theory here, so he went up to the moon. <laughs> they won the space race before it started. Yep. Pretty that's much. Awesome. Anyway, let's carry on to a different subject, shall yeah. we? Yeah. Yay! Because that's totally what it weird. is. It was Nazis on the moon. Thing that and happened. According to some, they're still there. 
Oh. <laughs> according so to some, the, do, so according to some Wikipedia, like articles. the same Nazis, or have they no. just started breeding and they're like they have a new like lunar Nazi race going on? Yeah, there? It, oh, there's okay. another Reich oh. on the on the moon. I see. And when the time so is right, they will come to us. Still there today, Lauren. Oh my God. <laughs> If I know you, you can't help it. If so. I can't make puns about space Nazis. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> oh. Ashlyn, any thoughts on space Nazis? They must have died out pretty quickly. They couldn't have brought that many supplies. <laughs> <laughs> the moon is made of cheese, Ashlyn. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, well observed, though. Yeah. Well observed. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like, like bring some I, science uh, into it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've read The Martian. You know, they, they could have had a go at it. Oh. Come on. Oh. I'm really looking forward to the movie. No! Because I have not been disappointed enough in the films of Ridley Scott lately. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to talk about, uh, maybe it's not as ridiculous as space Nazis, but uh, skeptics are no strangers to unusual chronologies. I mean, most of us are aware of the many young Earth creationists who adhere to James Usher's notion that the entire universe is just shy of uh, 6,020 years old. Uh, fewer, maybe, are familiar with uh, Anatoly Fomenko's new chronology, which contends that virtually all of recorded history took place in the last 1,000 years. What? Uh, including, like, the ancient Greeks, and yeah, oh yeah. That, that all happened in the last 1,000 years, according to Fomenko. But we're not talking about Fomenko. Nestled just between these two bits of pseudo-history, we have the Phantom Time Hypothesis. <laughs> A delightfully absurd conspiracy theory that was the brainchild of Herbert Illig and the late Hans Ulrich Niemitz. So the claim is that the dating system we use is even more arbitrary than we've been given to believe, and that 297 years of history during Europe's Dark Ages actually didn't happen at all. You may think that you live in the glorious 21st century, but according to uh, Illig and Nimitz, it is actually the year 1718, and everything between the years 614 CE and 911 CE is phantom time. It mm. didn't actually happen. So, why did Illig and Nimitz believe this? Well, uh, evidently, they noticed that during these so-called Dark Ages... Not much happened, you know. Yeah, <laughs> to quote Cecil Adams at the Straight Dope, Rome collapses, passing mention is made of the rise of Islam, and the next thing you know, it's the Battle of Hastings and the Norman Conquest. It's easy to imagine. Well, eh, maybe not easy, but possible to imagine that historians inadvertently inserted three blank centuries into our collective datebook. So, who inserted this phantom time, and why? Well, Illig provides several hypotheses, each of them fairly scant on specifics. Uh, the most detailed accounting he provides goes something like this. The Holy Roman Emperor, Otto II, a devotee of Christian millennialism, really, really wants to reign around the year 1000. You know, <laughs> millennialism. The only problem is that he would have to live to the ripe old age of 342 in order to do it. Life expectancy being what it was, even for an emperor, he conspired with Gerbert of Orillac, uh, who would later become Pope Sylvester II, to invent a new chronology that would place the new year 1000 Anno Domini within their grasp. 
The details get a little fuzzy here. Illig suggests that perhaps there was no existing dating system in use at the time. I guess they'd never heard of the Julian calendar. <laughs> uh, and uh, the conspirators didn't actually realize until afterward, maybe, that they would have to invent 300 years of additional history to fill up the gaps in their timeline. But that's what they had to do, uh, inventing the great conqueror Charlemagne in the process. But for some reason, they put the year 1000 a few decades into the future, I guess, and regrettably, Emperor Otto II died in Anno Domini 983, more than 16 years short of his coveted year 1000. So, ironclad case, right? Totally <laughs> believable on its face. Should I answer you as a historian or as a podcast member? <laughs> <laughs> so, maybe we could use... A little evidence to back up the speculation? What about all the cool manuscripts that I've read from that time period? Let me lay it out for you, Ashlyn. So the primary evidence for this phantom time actually comes in the form of the absence of evidence against the phantom time hypothesis. You know, as good skeptics, we know that you can't prove it didn't happen that way is totally a convincing <laughs> argument. <laughs> Name that logical fallacy, anyone? The gem fallacy. It's the argument from <laughs> ignorance. I tried, I tried to go for the brownie points answer, not the actual answer. <laughs> anyway, uh, Illig was apparently struck by the fact that there isn't that much in the way of archaeological evidence uh, from the period of 614 to 911 CE, at least in Western Europe. And he was annoyed, I guess... The only part of the world that Point counts. in favor. <laughs> uh, he was annoyed, I guess, by the fact that historians were relying so heavily on written sources, which aren't always as reliable. A second piece of evidence that gets cited is the fact that the architecture of 10th century Western Europe was pretty similar to that of, like, the Roman era, which is apparently evidence that the Roman Empire wasn't actually as long dead as people thought it was. Or something. Because people have never done things in the style of other things before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> never. But the pièce de résistance has to be the adoption of the Gregorian calendar in 1582. So bear with me, there's some basic math here. When this calendar was adopted, the uh, date actually had to be shifted by 10 days to account for chronological drift, because the old Julian calendar didn't properly account for leap years, at least not as well as the new calendar did. Under the old calendar, which used a simple one leap year in every four calculation, a drift of 10 days would take about uh, 1,257 years to happen. But that means that Pope Gregory didn't make the right adjustment because he should have adjusted it by 13 days. The Julian calendar was adopted in 45 BC, and if you just subtract 1257 from 1582, you get 325. So that's not enough of an adjustment, right? No. So maybe you're thinking that Pope Gregory just made a mistake. No need to make it the basis of an absurd conspiracy theory, Popes right? Popes can't make mistakes. Popes are infallible. But <laughs> it's not so. Because 10 days is actually exactly right. They weren't actually trying to realign the calendar with the calendar used by Julius Caesar. What they were trying to do is realign it with the guidelines for calculating the date of Easter, which were established at the First Council of Nicaea. Anyone want to guess when the First Council of Nicaea took place? It was 325 AD, which is exactly when <laughs> the leap year calculation would get us to. 
And we haven't even addressed the elephant of the room, which I know Lauren is shaking trying to get through. Uh, what about all of the things that actually happened during that time? You know, the rise of Islam, Charlemagne uniting Western Europe and forming the Holy Roman Empire, several wars between the Byzantine and Bulgarian empires, the settlement of Iceland by the Norse, and presumably the invention of Vina Tarta, which is delicious. Uh, yes. <laughs> the uh, technological and cultural innovations uh, of China's Tang Dynasty, which included the invention of gunpowder and the creation of the first known woodblock printed book. Well, those things apparently didn't happen at all, or maybe happened at some other time. See, the thing is, there's actually a lot of evidence that the Phantom Time hypothesis is wrong. It goes without saying that this is a pretty Eurocentric theory. No kidding! <laughs> and Europe, strangely enough, is not a closed system. What? <laughs> when you correlate events found in the Phantom Time period with events outside of Europe, like astronomical events such as eclipses and comet sightings, or conflicts between major powers such as the wars between Byzantium and the Muslim world, and dating methods such as dendrochronology, uh, the Gregorian calendar holds up just fine. There's no sign of this phantom time. If Illig and Nemitz had bothered to check their pseudo-historical nonsense against the historical records of civilizations in Asia or the Middle East, for example, it might have saved them some considerable embarrassment. But they wouldn't have got so many books out, so... They should have asked me. I have some actual artifacts. <laughs> You're part of the conspiracy, Lauren. That's it. My bow roaches are part of the conspiracy. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> How much did they pay you? Not enough. <laughs> okay, so what we've got now is I'm going to get to the bottom of who exactly these podcasters you've all been listening to for so long are and what they really feel about skepticism and science and Star Trek and <laughs> truth or dare. I love truth one, or dare. One of us <laughs> is actually not a skeptic. Let's see if we can guess who. <laughs> One of these things is not like the others. So joining us for the segment, we have our friends and past co-hosts of Life, the Universe, and Everything Else, Leslie Saunders, Greg Christensen, and Mark Forkheim. So I've got some questions for them, and I also have some uh, interesting questions for the panelists we have live with us tonight. So my first question is for Leslie. And I want to know, Leslie, which Mythbuster... Would you rather play Truth or Dare with? Hi there, my name's Leslie Saunders. I'm a past host, and I want to thank Jim for inviting me back to celebrate Life, the Universe, and everything else's 100th episode. The Mythbuster that I would love to play Truth or Dare with is Carrie. She had these crazy welding skills, which I have a lot of admiration <laughs> for. I can weld a bit, but she could do it so well. I'm such a fan. <laughs> if it were any member of the cast, I'd be pretty happy, though. I'd probably just ask the same typical kind of questions. If it were truth, hmm, if you could see one day into the future, what would you do? If you were president, what would your first hundred days in office look like? Really? That's a typical question? If you were on your way out, what legislation would you like to sneak through? And for a dare, hmm, would you like to be on our podcast? <laughs> So the second question that I have for Leslie is, if you could close the Kentucky Creation Museum permanently, but you had to replace it with a museum dedicated to another pseudoscience, what would you choose? If I could close down the Kentucky Creation Museum permanently, I would in a heartbeat. 
if I had to replace it with another museum dedicated to pseudoscience, my first thought would be to herbology. I find it fascinating what different cultures used to or currently use to treat different conditions. And I think a lot of people would be surprised at how many all-natural ingredients Big Pharma uses in medication, or how everyday plants are being studied by scientists for their healing properties. But I would be wrong, and I completely missed the point of the question, because that would be actual science, not pseudoscience. <laughs> so I think I would replace it with a museum dedicated to trepanning. And if yes. I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. I had to Google the term to find out what it's even called. But it's basically when people used to drill holes in their skulls so they could let evil demons out, and that would cure them. And I would pick this because it's so ridiculous and it's such low-hanging fruit. It would make a great talking point when I'm arguing with other people who believe in things that I think are silly, like homeopathy, crystal healing, or the other kind of pseudosciences that a lot of people do believe in. So when somebody who believes in homeopathy is asked for proof and they say, well, it worked for me, like you hear so often, you can say something like, well, enough people think that drilling a hole in their skull made them better, that there's actually a museum dedicated to it, and I'd win the argument. <laughs> wow. Well put. Mm -hmm. uh, so the last question uh, that I had for Leslie, uh, what sci-fi or fantasy universe would you most like to live in? Sci-fi or fantasy universe I would want to live in hinges on three things. First, I would want faster than light travel or access to different species. As much as I love Firefly or 2001, not much would probably change for me in that kind of world. Also, I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades working with my hands person, so if I lived in a Lord of the Rings universe, I feel like I would still end up being a farmer. Just a <laughs> farmer who got to see a better fireworks display every so often. <laughs> and the nice. third thing is I'd like a bit of magic. Not Harry Potter-level magic but a universe where different species have different abilities and things that are impossible in our reality may not be in theirs. So based on all that, I pick Farscape. I think I do very well in the Farscape universe. Nice. A good choice. So for Greg, what I asked him was, would you be willing to use a transporter on Star Trek, despite the fact that it almost certainly would kill you and make a new copy elsewhere? Absolutely. Um... By the 24th century, it's proven technology. I probably see people transporting every day, uh, going to lunch in Paris, you know, from North America, transporting from ship to ship, ship to Earth, all sorts of crazy stuff. So it would probably be just another everyday thing. Um, in the early days of transporting, though, uh, when you have things like transporter psychosis and disappearing people and so forth uh, I'd probably be a little leery of it what about when transporters turn you into children yeah <laughs> oh man that was a terrible episode <laughs> it was but once you get over the initial like okay you're really grasping for straws here boys <laughs> it's kind of like he's my number one dad I love that line <laughs> it's, so it's just so good though they won't let us play with the computer and the... Whatever, that, that, that kid. Anyway, sorry. So the second question I had for Greg was, which pseudoscientific idea do you really wish were true? I'd have to say uh, half the stuff 
I'll, I'll give two answers to this one. Half the stuff Dr. Oz says, like <laughs> if, if health and weight loss and magic miracle cures and diets were actually true, that would be super cool. Um, number two would be superpowers, like X-Men style stuff, or maybe heroes off of the TV show. That's a good answer. And the, uh, the final question that I had for Greg was, uh, if CBS Paramount announced a brand new Star Trek series, <laughs> who should play the captain? It's very important to know. I don't really have any specific actor in mind. Um, Nathan Fillion. I would prefer to leave that up to casting directors. Good answer. When you look at like really, really great shows um, that happen that are happening on TV like right now, for example, um, like Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, all those, um, those are all people I've never heard of. So I'd like a casting director to, uh, you know, and a, and, and a production crew with a solid vision to give me a brand new, fresh face and wow me as a captain. So yeah, I wouldn't really say it has to be any specific actor that I'm rather fond of. I'd say Jem Newman, who's turning blood and ashes. <laughs> we, we don't need to promote that show so hard now that it's over. Except for the DVD release. And... So for Mark, the first question I had was, if you had to be killed by a supernatural creature or force, what would you choose? Mark Forkheim here. First, I'd like to say congratulations on 100 episodes. As a former host and participant, I've been asked to answer nine questions. Sort of disappointed it wasn't 42 questions, but got to leave some talking time for other people, I guess. If you had to be killed by a supernatural creature or force, what would you choose? That actually stumped me for a bit, because so many of the supernatural creatures out there in Legend, they kill you using quite natural forces. You know, Zeus sending his lightning bolts. Well, Zeus might be supernatural but lightning is quite natural and it kills people all the time uh the incredible hulk might be a bit on the supernatural side you know where does his extra mass come from whenever he converts but in the end he kills you by smashing you with his fists (laughs) and that's quite natural i finally came up with being blinked out of existence by q or just being disintegrated by dr manhattan from the watchman you know, something quick and painless. That's the key to it. Quick and painless. <laughs> Mark is always a pragmatist. <laughs> I don't want a pain. The second question uh, I have for him is, uh, what is your favorite cryptozoological creature? That would be Bigfoot. Why? Because living in Winnipeg, we're apparently at the edge of his territory, and it would be very easy to go out and explore for him. I could go online and get... Funds donated from a bunch of gullible people to pay for my summer camping trip. I mean, get a bunch of respectable people to help pay for my research trip into the woods. And if that was successful, I could possibly do the same thing for a research trip down to uh, Cancun, Mexico to search for the chupacabra. But it's just the nearness of it that uh, makes it so attractive. I'd have all the equipment. I still have a one megapixel camera. Get a little <laughs> Vaseline for the uh, center of the lens. Have my evidence in no time flat. Very clever. And the uh, the last question is, would you rather live in a world in which aliens exist, but no one believes in them, or a world where aliens don't exist, but everybody believes in them? What the hell kind of question is that? A gem <laughs> question. Whoa. <laughs> oh, I think I'd rather live in world number one. I mean, it's bad enough we have people 
believing in Christ, but believing in aliens too? Good and grief. Right for the throat. No, but seriously, we practically do live in world number one anyways, because I'm very certain that there is alien life forms on other planets, and there's a large number of people that believe that alien life forms exist. So we're probably three quarters of the way to world number one. But if you're talking about aliens that actually come to this planet, I'd have to say that hasn't happened yet. Here's hoping to see another 100 episodes. Thanks, Mark. And thanks, uh, Leslie and Greg. Uh, okay, so I have uh, questions for all of you. Uh, so I'm going to start with Ashlyn, I think. Woo. And maybe I'll go around the table. I don't know what order we'll do these in. I'm terrified. So, I like having lead time, and I got none. You'll, you'll have lead time on, uh, on the rest of them, maybe. <laughs> but not, not the first three. So, so Ashlyn. If an evil genie forced you to devote your life to promoting genie. a conspiracy theory, mm -hmm. which conspiracy theory would you choose? Mm. Do I have to promote it well? Yep. <laughs> you have to dedicate your life to it. This what genie is a real asshole. Yeah. <laughs> what would you do for evil genie? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Because <laughs> now I can only think of the conspiracy theories that we've talked about today. I think I would uh, do the moon hoax one. Because there's actually a lot of fun and weird angles that you can go on that. Like, a lot of the conspiracy theories only have, like, the two pieces of evidence that they're interested in, right? Right. But the moon hoax one has a lot of different things that once you get shot down, you can just move on. And then once you've gone through all of the evidence, you can just start again. Good answer. Mm -hmm. So, I would dedicate my life to the moon hoax theory. Woo! L let me ask you then, uh, what scientific advance do you wish had been made 200 years earlier? Germ theory of disease. Yeah. <laughs> definitely a good answer. Absolutely, yeah. If, uh, if we had figured out the germ theory of disease 200 years ago, we would probably have, uh, I don't want to say the cure for cancer, but we would probably have a lot less disease now. Yeah, yeah that's true. A lot more people, too. Yeah, that's yeah. not as good, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought that if I was going to be a time traveler and go back in time the germ theory of disease is like the thing that I could bring because uh, I don't know how to make a transistor I don't mm. know how to make electricity from nothing um, so I couldn't like introduce the internet but I could totally tell them that you need to wash your hands yeah <laughs> <laughs> just bring some penicillin oh, oh nobody believes Semmelweis though well yeah and I mean and I'd be, I'd be a woman a few hundred years ago and that would also That's be difficult but but that is something that I could yeah. actually do if I was a time traveler and finally if you had to have either Deepak Chopra or Ray Comfort as your wacky next door neighbor who's always popping in which would you choose jeez <laughs> what a uh, oh. I would choose Deepak Chopra because I think he's less moralizing Ray Comfort mm. would probably have a problem with my relationship. <laughs> and so him popping in would be more awkward than Deepak Chopra, who'd be like, you guys need to align your chakras better. <laughs> Don't we already live next? Yeah, we kind of have a Ray Comfort next yeah. door. <laughs> but he doesn't pop over, so that's all right. But but Ray Comfort has the banana gag. Yep. And I don't want that in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll move on to Lauren. Uh-oh. Uh, I'll start you off with a softball question. Would you rather live in a world where the Norse gods were real or where the Abrahamic god is real? Norse gods. And why? More fun. Yeah, that's an easy one. <laughs> yes. That is a softball. I said it was she a softball. She plays 8th century Norse every weekend. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe make this a little bit harder. 
What conspiracy theory would make for the best interpretive dance? <laughs> uh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, we already had the theme song for Nazis on the Moon. Yes. Uh, <laughs> best interpretive dance. Oh, yeah, I can just see those high kicks. <laughs> <laughs> so can I. Oh my god. <laughs> what about the, the grassy knoll one? Because you could do all the triangulation crap. And you could have a, a lady, uh, the, um, the babushka, babushka lady. lady. Yeah. Um, she could do, just do a walk on and kind of look at the audience and walk away. Yeah. Um, with her camera. I don't know. Um, oh, yeah. The birth and death of Christ. And I would set it to Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> nice. Jesus Christ Superstar 2, the christening. Christening? Christening would be the word there. Yeah, because that's the word, and that's what it means. But the christening is more badass, somehow. Uh, If you had to spend an hour of each day either watching men's rights videos on YouTube or reading Ken Ham's Creation Museum blog, which would you choose? The Creation Museum blog. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I, It'd be good for a laugh. If yeah, else. he. I can. I can just laugh and say, "Oh, honey," and <laughs> you're not trying to actually purposely hurt anyone with this. Okay, so so Ian, if you had to write a rock opera about one pseudoscientific <laughs> idea, what would it be? Pseudoscience and not conspiracy. Yeah, you can do a conspiracy if you'd prefer. Um, well, I think I'll, I'll, I'll answer both. I'll say the lizard people for sure. Mm-hmm. That'd be a, an interesting rock opera, I feel. Because imagine like all the like cameos of celebrities that you could have on Broadway that come in who are, who may or may not be a lizard person. Yeah. And fantastic costume opportunities there as well. Right. Uh, and pseudoscience, I'd say probably homeopathy. Yeah. I think that story would be very interesting to, to write, and it, it'd have lots of ups and downs, and yeah. grandma's dying, and you know, a drop here's of the water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think yeah, I'd go with I'd go with homeopathy and the lizard people. Oh, in the same musical, <laughs> set to interpretive dance. <laughs> I'm gonna write this down. Hey, next year's next year's, next year's fringe. Yes. You in? We'll do this. Uh, okay. okay, so Ian. In a fight between Worf, son of Moog, Worf. and a tag team made up of Bret Hart and Ric Flair, who would win? Oh, how dare you ask me this question? Bet on the Batla. Bet on the, the Batla. That's the. That is the. In a what? A fight to the death? Uh, yep. Worf. Worf would still win. Even if he can't use a Batleth or a Mechleth or any of the other Lefts that he has hidden around his body. Well, if it's to the death, Worf has actually killed people. So he's not moralistically against it. He'll just kill your ass if you're not looking. <laughs> now, also, Bret Hart now and Ric Flair now, because they're both like... <laughs> in their Bret prime. In, in their, their prime. prime. Okay. Yeah, That's a good I'm sorry. distinction. I'm sorry, Worf. Still I, mean, what, what, I mean, you know, how can... Yeah. You know, how can you get... Yeah, there's, there's no, unfortunately, there's no contest. I'd like to see it, though. So if you had to choose between writing the music for a new Cosmos series or... Professionally for the WWE, Ooh, which would you choose? Wow. You know, I, I gotta say that's a very good question. But a, I think my current skill set would put me in one direction versus the other. In other words, like, and I think my obsession with would lead me towards the WWE. Yeah. Because as much as I would love to be a part of the cot, like to say like. That's my music. I wrote that for this amazing show. Mm-hmm. The music, which I believe was written by Silvestri, right? For the new one, yeah. 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 I mean, 
I, I'm no Alan Silvestri, yeah. and I don't really know how to orchestrate that well and kind of the type of music that was written for that show. However, bitch and heavy metal of people walking down to the ring, that I can do. <laughs> <laughs> and m as much as I am obsessed with science and skepticism, I must say I am more obsessed with wrestling. So I, would, I, would, I could not possibly give up that opportunity to write, uh, to write for the WWE. The same person who's written the music for the... Uh, the WWE back in like the 80s and early 90s is still writing for them today. They've only had one guy. Wow. Jim hmm. Johnston is his name. Now, granted, they've had other people come in and write songs for certain wrestlers, blah, 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 but the main music composed for that for WWE is still that one guy. Cool. Hmm. Laura, who would you rather have as a <laughs> secret admirer? Dr. Oz or David Avocado Wolf? Oh, no. Oh, oh I feel dirty. <laughs> <laughs> They're so terrible. <laughs> well, we know that Dr. Oz is handsy. Oh, it's yeah. so creepy. Oh, God. I, oh, oh, it's so gross. Oh, well, oh, but David, I'm a... Oh. I don't know who that guy is. Girl, um, person, I don't know who that person is. You, you know, said avocado. I don't know yeah, if somebody he, could be named he, avocado. I don't, I don't know that that is a given name. My guess is that it is a... It's a taken name. Adopted name. <laughs> um. Anyway, he posts... The one thing that he does do is a lot of the stuff that he posts on Facebook is very, like, feel-good, inspirational kind of stuff. Like, you know, enjoy this moment and take care of each other and so stuff like that. So you want him that. to make you feel good? I don't want. <laughs> no. I'm just saying, if Magical I have to have brown. a... Uh, if I have to have a creeper, <laughs> then I think maybe him, because Dr. Oz is... I... Oh, God. Yeah, is no, it Satan? would have to be him. Yeah, David Avocado Wolf. Do Dr. Oz is just the worst in every possible way. <gasps> yep. All right. Okay, if you were trapped in the 12th century, what one thing would you bring with you? Uh... <laughs> Mind blown. Penicillin. <laughs> I guess, yeah, that's probably a good idea. I'm just trying to think of, like sterilizing tablets for water? No, if she brings penicillin back, then by the time it gets to our yeah, age, then that's what yeah. I was the super bugs earlier. will be... Yeah. 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 That's, that's what I was thinking. So I'm thinking, right, like... Hail Mary. <laughs> yeah. There's, like... I would bring a water filtration system that does not rely on power. Woo! That <laughs> is what one. I would bring. <laughs> Filters, yeah. where you yeah. can just literally, like, yeah. filter like all the guinea filter. worm out, you know? Or, yeah, the, yeah like, the charcoal filter. Or the little, yeah. the little tablets. Yeah, exactly. I would bring yeah. some kind of non-powered water filtration system. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, if you could ban one nutritional fad so you never had to hear about it again... What would it be? Oh, God, there's too many. you got to prep me no, for these you, questions. Only one. You're only allowed only to ban one. one. The oh, others God. will just get stronger. <laughs> Detox. Detox. I hate that so much. It means absolutely zero. It, yeah, detox. By far. I never, ever want to hear about that again. Because, really, a lot of the other fads tend to include that as part of it, as either a selling feature or because nobody's can come up with new ideas. So if you get rid of detox, then you get rid of a lot of the other crap that's out there, too. Hey, I've got a great thing to detox you. It's called your liver. And your kidneys! Yeah! Woo! So I hear that uh, Ashlyn has some questions for me, too. I do, and I have edited them to sort of fit in with the other questions better. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> First of all, who is your scientist beard hero? Oh, <laughs> man, it's, it's hard to beat Darwin. <laughs> I mean, that guy had a pretty great beard. 
there there have also been some uh, some pretty great like non beard facial hairs. Are you googling scientist like, beards right now? No, no, no. I was I was pulling up a picture of Thomas Henry Huxley. He yes, doesn't have a beard, sure. but those those droopy dog sideburns are yeah. pretty amazing. <laughs> so Darwin for the beard, but Darwin's bulldog for the burns. Gotcha, man. That is a t-shirt if I ever saw it. Get, someone make this man a t-shirt that says exactly that. With just Done. like the beard, like the Tom Mulcair beards uh, silhouette that's going around right now. We'll do that, but with the Darwin yeah, beard on a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if we took the podcast to television, what network would we be on? And how would we have to change the show to fit? Uh, the History Channel, and there would have to be way more aliens. <laughs> uh, we'd, we'd have to tell both sides, yeah. by which I mean the alien side and the uh, underworld lizard man side. <laughs> uh, Those are the only two sides. Yeah, like if we honestly did it, I think like a, a CBC or a PBS would be like we could actually make the show work. It would have to be a little terser. I, <laughs> we, we would have to cut one of the, our panelists, me, because I talk <laughs> way too much. You can be the behind-the-scenes producer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we could have uh, musical guests, uh, like uh, like Ian or Fred Penner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Mentioned in the same breath as Fred Penner. I will take that nice. compliment, sir. <laughs> Next question. What Star Trek character would you most like to interview on our podcast? Star Trek character, not actor. Mm, okay, so not Rene Auberginois, but probably Odo. Because I really need to know, Odo is the chief of security on Deep Space Nine. Obviously. Duh. He can change shape, but he can also, like, transform. He seems to have some way of dealing with excess mass that I don't fundamentally understand. Because when he transforms into, like, a tiny little mouse, he doesn't, like, you know, weigh as much as, I don't know, René Aubergenois. Uh... And when he transforms into a tiny little bird, he can fly around. And I'm like, that bird is so dense. How could you fly? <laughs> there must be some new physics involved is sure, what I'm saying. And, and I want to get to out. the basis of it. I want to know how comfy that bucket is to sleep in. Of all the things, why just a bucket? Why couldn't you find yourself like a nice little... Didn't bucket? he become solid later on in the... Yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he became a, uh, uh, like fully human at one point, except he still had like his kind of melty face. <laughs> that sucks. But then he became a changeling again later. So we have more questions, and they're for everyone this time. So we're going to get answers from our panel here and answers from our previous hosts as well. So the first question is, if you were given your own TV show about science and critical thinking, who would you choose as your co-host? I would definitely pick Bob McDonald to be my co-host. Like a lot of Canadians who grew up in the late 80s and only had two channels, I love the show Wonderstruck. Now I listen to his show Quirks and Quirks in podcast form, and it amazes me each episode how little I know and how much there still is to discover. I think it's so amazing that somebody with no advanced formal science education could be such an effective science communicator. He shows me that it's okay to ask the questions, even if they seem silly, and that being wrong is only a step in the process. I'm kind of big on, like, um, Brian Cox and Lawrence Krauss these days uh just because they're in you know popular media uh right now um so they're they're fresh on my mind but i'd probably want someone who uh could take me through you know the journey of scientific exploration i guess or or uh, or discovery um and and lend some actual credentials to my show cuz i'm not sure people would just believe me 
if it were me and some other guy or girl. Well, that one's easy. I'd choose Jem Newman. It'd be the easiest gig around. I'd show up. I'd let Jem talk for the entire hour. All I'd have to do is interject every once in a while that, yeah, right on. You said it. You tell them. It'd be great. <laughs> um, Pendulette. You don't like yeah, I, I also made a face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone that, around that, the that table is scowling. I didn't. He's such a jackass. <laughs> sure, but that's what makes it entertaining. <laughs> and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, Neil deGrasse Tyson because I remember somebody sent me a video because they like, hey, I thought of you because I'm always, you know, rambling on about science and... <laughs> Um, and so somebody sent me a video of him and it was, and he's got some snark too. He's yeah. a, he's a bit of a, he's a kind of a snarky dude and it's great. Mm. So I think I'd want him on my team because I would also share his snark. So, and plus he's just a, he's just a, he's just a brilliant man. I yeah. think he's an extremely good presenter and representative of science nowadays. And so- Bill, not a science guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those, those guys Bill, would be... Bill, 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 Bill. Those guys Bill would be my boys. Anyway, sorry. Uh, you? Aww. Aww. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> better answer, better answer, better answer. Ian? Yes! That's the, that is the right answer. Yay! Yay. Uh, Adam Savage. I kind of idolize him, and I would love to do a TV show with him where yeah. we didn't blow stuff up all the time. We just talked about it because he's such an, a compelling person oh. when he talks about science. Yeah. I was just going to say Ashlyn because she knows science and I'm a dummy. <laughs> oh, you're not a dummy. Better answer. Better answer. <laughs> I love you. My friend Kevin, who does theoretical physics for fun. <laughs> and has a better beard than Jim. Whoa! Hey, now. Let's, no, it's really bad. It's way tape, worse man. than yours. <laughs> I would... Uh, I, I'm kind of torn. Uh, I Like, on the one hand, I really love Phil Plate. I've got, mm. like, I've got the same... I love Adam Savage, too, but I think Phil Plate, for me, just kind of edges him out, and I'm really kind of sad that his three-episode uh, series for Discovery yeah, didn't get... Yeah, it was get, a really good series. Yeah, oh, it was great. I didn't get picked up for more. Uh, but I also really love Rebecca Watson, too. Mm. Like, I, her snark yep. is just so hilarious to me um and there like there are so many though that i that i could can't even think of so what future technology do you wish we just hurry up and invent already i wish they would just hurry up and invent nuclear fission although i tend to wish that they would just hurry up and invent whatever technology i most recently heard about so if the sgu spoke last week about anti-gravity boots i'd probably have a different answer I would absolutely love, uh, like sometimes I just go out and, and stargaze as kind of a hobby. And, uh, and I really, really wish I could just be in orbit of one of those stars or discover a new planet or something. So wormhole technology, interstellar travel, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. Bring Star Trek to my doorstep. The portable power pack. A small, energy-dense power pack that could power all those incredible science fiction devices. You know, let's face it, a weapon that blasts a hole through another person is not going to be powered by something handheld with today's technology. Um, a hoverboard is not going to be powered by something with today's technology, or at least won't get you very far. An Iron Man suit will not be powered by today's technology, not without an extension cord leading back to the wall, or even a Terminator 
That would be awesome, but it would need a power pack. Holodeck. Yeah. No doubt. That's, ki- that's kind of scary, though, honestly. Mm. It ain't me. scary. It's awesome, and you know it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, Probably fusion reactors, so then we wouldn't have to be dealing with fossil fuels and that, and we could just have unlimited energy, and energy mm. wars would stop, and then we could just kind of advance and not be hating each other all the time. It's probably a, a better answer than mine. <laughs> yeah, that's all philosophic. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Um, Faster than light travel. Oh, yeah, that'd be yeah. great. That'd be pretty good. That'd be great. Let, let's get this virus called humanity <laughs> out there and spreading. Yeah. yeah. It's been too long. Yeah, well, you know, this is a, a pretty fragile basket for all these eggs. Wait, no, time so. travel. I want time travel more. Holy <laughs> No, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Way to destroy all of history. Wait, wait, what about, like, paradox-free time travel? I, like on Futurama. Oh, I, don't be silly. I do, I do like the line from Hitchhiker's Guide. I don't remember which book it was. But Douglas Adams said that time travel made history truly like another country. <laughs> they do things exactly the same there. Yep. <laughs> no, but I, I just want time travel for me. Okay. I only want me <laughs> to be able to go back and find out, like, whether the Neanderthals ate, you know, whatever their diet was, and how culture developed, and how people first started using tools. I, I want to know these things so badly. But I have better specific history questions than you do. <laughs> I don't want a proxy. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Lauren? If, if she takes time travel, which was going to be my <laughs> my go-to, I I'm want... sure she'll take you along. She just said for her only. Okay, just, just for our family. Okay. Anyway, if you couldn't have time travel. <laughs> Teleportation. Yes. Yeah. I want to be everywhere. So are we talking like quantum mechanical teleportation? Or are we talking just like like you disintegrate one place and a new copy of you is created somewhere else? A new copy of me is fine. Yeah, who cares? You know, you don't need continuity If, if of I consciousness. could leave about five or six pounds behind with every time I go, that's great. Ooh, you, that would be a limited amount, though. But then I could eat anything I want. You still can. Who cares? I care. My pants cares. My pants budget cares. So uh, for me, Laura kind of stole my answer. (laughs) You know, like some sort of cheap, safe, indefinitely sustainable energy source would be great. You know, it's Mm -hmm. the only thing that I can think of that might break the stranglehold that our terrible I've got mine jack economic system has on our world and some of the poorer countries. But more selfishly, especially if we had unlimited energy... I would uh, totally go with, like, matter replication, like uh, replicators in Star Trek. I was thinking that, too, actually. That was my other thought. Because... Something about world hunger. Yeah, exactly. Once you... I mean, once you make energy unlimited, that may come with it, but... If you make food unlimited, then I mean, yeah, and then I make can, resources could, unlimited. I eat, like we'll... actual burgers again, and then you can make ducks unlimited. <laughs> That's right. And then we'd well, all. They, they said it in Watchmen. If we make resources infinite, then war is obsolete. Yeah. Also, the ability to throw your brain back in time into another version of yourself with the with the current understanding that you have now. There's a Lovecraftian Quantum story leap, about like that. the show Quantum Leap style. Yes. Show Quantum Leap? Yeah. Yes. Except yeah. you wouldn't be going into other people's bodies week to week. You'd just be going into your own so you could, like, you know, do all the things you wanted to do with the current knowledge that you have now. Okay, next question. So, who is the best doctor? The doctor. Who's the best? Number four. Number four. Okay. Ian? I don't watch that show, so I'm going to pick a random number between one and ten. Eleven. <laughs> That's also oh. an acceptable answer. Yeah. Is it? Seuss? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> I I don't think it's like a popular answer, but I still have such a soft spot for Tennant. He's so adorable. Jem? 
Well, before I answer, why don't we ask some of our past hosts? The best doctor is David Tennant, and that's a silly question. Now, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, most people instinctively are going to say Beverly Crusher, of course, right? It's obviously not Kate Pulaski. I'm going to go off on a limb here and say it's Julian Bashir because DS9 is my favorite Star Trek. Uh, so uh, I guess I'll give my favorite Doctor to, uh, to my favorite Star Trek. And yes, I know this question was probably about Doctor Who, but I don't really like Doctor Who, so too bad. Uh, I've had to give this some thought, and it's uh, Crusher, Pulaski, and Phlox didn't really do anything memorable for me. Uh, Bashir, I found to be a real pompous ninny. And the emergency medical hologram, oh my goodness, he's just a whiny, annoying creature. So I'd have to give my vote to Bones McCoy. Well, for me, I have to go with Robert Picardo. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, like, if I had to answer You're the question in the spirit in which it is asked, by rights I should say Tom Baker, because, Thank you, know, you he's the doctor that I remember most fondly from childhood reruns. Um, but I think it's pretty clear from the other answers that um, we have quite a few Trekkies as well, uh, maybe more Trekkies than Whovians on the show. So if I'm being honest, it has to be Robert Picardo. Should, uh, should we get into a Whovian discussion? No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm woefully out of date. Don't you guys want to go home tonight? What is your favorite episode of our podcast? My favorite episode that I was on was Organic Agriculture. Mark and I disagreed on a few things, and there's nothing I love more than a good argument. But my favorite episode overall may be coffee and tea. And I say that as somebody who drinks neither coffee or tea. I also have a love of any podcast where Laura goes on a rant about something, especially if it's about Dr. Oz. So I probably listen to the Deepak Chopra and Dr. Oz episode the most. As far as favorites on the podcast, one of the ones that was just like absolutely gut-bustingly fun to record and just amazing, it was like five hours of just constant laughter, uh, was The Zombies Part 1 and 2, like trying to keep a straight face and, and give a scientific uh, you know, breakdown of, of the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, that was like one of the best afternoons I think I've ever had recording a show. Um, as far as the more serious topics, recently one was really good that had me kind of, uh, talking along with, with the hosts, uh, the show on labels and another one on, uh, um, around Christmas about privilege, uh, that was quite solid. So I enjoyed those. I'd have to say that was when we went down to Skepticon 5 as a group. It was nice getting to know everyone on the trip down and on the trip back. Yeah, we got to interview people, which is something I wouldn't have done by myself, necessarily. And it was just, like, like again, great camaraderie. I really enjoyed making that podcast. Uh, the one that we did about the, the the creature that creates itself in the mind of the... What was the... Oh, the yeah. Thought Experiments show. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the one that really... Yeah, the Roko, one that, Roko's Basilisk. Thank you, yeah. that's exactly, yes. Because uh, that's the one that after... Well, first of all, I think that was probably even the first one I was on. First or second is very early. It's the first one that you were that you were on as a regular panelist. Yes. You've been on our creationism show. Way That's back true. In the day yes. And, it was right. the first one that we did when we all got back together to record That's everything. That's true too. Uh, yeah. So that holds a special place too. But I think the subject matter was the, one of the only ones where, like afterwards, I was like, 
thinking yeah, about it, yeah. like, what did I just... <laughs> what was I a part of? Did I just create something that's going to destroy the world? Yeah, I, I wasn't it on It stuck that, with yeah. me for a while. I so. wasn't on that show. I was sitting upstairs in our craft room listening Rocking to Laura... Yeah, to listening Ooh. to Laura's head explode. Oh, God. <laughs> and that, that was entertaining, no so offense. mad. Oh, God. I just did not want to be talking about it anymore. And I talked about it the whole way home, too. I know! That was a, You're still was talking about it. I like that one. That was very good. Uh, my favorite is, I guess not a show, but the the ones where we watch a movie and then critique it. Yeah. Those ones are always so much fun. Yeah. And also we don't need to do any preparation. <laughs> we should do another one of those. Yeah. And it's really fun to just watch the movie all together and get really mad about it and then sit down and record. <laughs> yep. Uh I have a hard time remembering all of the ones that we've talked about. The hoax one we did recently I thought was also good. The the moon hoax? Yeah. 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 That was good. I'm trying to think of some of the older ones that we used to do like over Google Plus. Yeah. Because yeah. there, there were some good ones that oh the Christmas one. The one yeah. of the many. The Christmas ones you know are what, the Christmas ones are, ones are really fun. Yeah, those I, are fun. I like the ones that are just really one, fun. Yeah, the one that I won the Christmas uh, trivia. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. You, you you became El Kegenye, I think, or something. Or was that a different year? No, that was that yeah. year, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. That I called yeah. it that that existed. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, and I won this past year, because you, you weren't on the show. <laughs> For myself, I think some of the ones that we've done really well, uh, the organic agriculture, I think, was a really, really well done episode. It was just one, right? It was a two-parter. It was a two-parter. Yeah. In any case, I remember it just being really well done and really excellent research on everybody's part, and that was awesome. It's really hard when you're on all of them and then you don't listen to them afterwards <gasps> as much because because I was on it and I also generally hear it about 20 times as Gem is editing it. So yeah. I do hear in it. In the just most not... annoying way possible yeah, as exactly. I replay the same, same uh, 10 uh, seconds uh, over uh, and over again to cut um, them out. But I'm, I'm going to second Ashlyn's um, mentions of the ones where we all get together and we chat about something. And so in that vein... Um, the one when we went to Skepticon as well, mm, and we all yeah. just hung out in one of our hotel rooms and chatted about the day that we'd had was yeah. a really fun experience. Probably some of the worst uh, episode quality we had. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, hey, for a cell phone in a hotel room, yeah, it worked it's pretty good. Okay, it was just it was really fun, and it was um, it was really neat because there was a big group of us, and we didn't all know each other super well yet, and we'd, it was a really nice bonding thing. So that was mm -hmm. fun. The ones where I was first starting out, where we had our all lady panelists for the makeup stuff and the mm -hmm. those were yeah fun. those the were really fun one. yeah I really like um, as we're talking about and I was reminded the nutritional supplements one that we yes. did yeah just because oh, yeah. I liked everybody's topics but I the thing that I talked about the I natural did. egg membrane was hilarious and yes, I had so much fun researching this going I can't believe this is a thing yeah. Yeah. for a while when we were doing the Google Hangouts it was Lauren and Laura and I doing yeah the, yeah the regular rotations it was good. Oh man, there's been some good, there's been some good episodes. It's hard to compete with episode 88, the thought experiments episode. It was a really good show. But I also really loved our movie review episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, episode 90, Resonance Beings of Frequency, as Ian that mentioned, was, was, yeah. was really fun. Uh, I also like any episode where we get to have a fun quiz show. Uh, yes. And the History of the War on Christmas, episode 72, again, that Ian mentioned. Ian Steele and all my, all my favorites. Uh, but I do really like the Historicity of Jesus episode, because I think Greg did a great job putting that all together. And our recent show on determinism and free will is a favorite of mine because that's just a hobby horse that I have. And I'm really proud of these last few episodes that we did on uh, criminal justice. When but, we did our research? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, we, we put on a pretty good show, guys. We do. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud toot, of it. Toot, 
So, second last question. What is the one topic you'd like to see us cover on a future episode? The topic I would most like to see covered is poverty. I think that many don't understand the issues behind poverty in Canada. People who would never make fun of somebody who dresses like they're a girl or gay or have developmental problems do make fun of the way that poor people dress. And I hear too often that the government should cut funding to things in rural areas or the north and spend more money in the cities. And when we talk about education, it seems to only involve university getting cheaper, not about how there are still communities with no access to free grade 9 education. I've heard comments that going into a trade is for dumb or lazy people, and I've had conversations with people where they felt shame because they didn't go to university or shop at the fancy places or couldn't afford a cell phone or they got their internet from the library. Probably, I have to say, the placebo effect. There's a lot of myths and mysteries surrounding it. For so long, science has been driven to exclude the placebo effect from experiments, designing experiments to get rid of it. But it's only been recently that we've started exploring what it actually is. Like, for instance, people with Alzheimer's aren't as affected by it. Uh, it can be great at mitigating uh, subjective problems like pain and comfort issues. And people quite often use it in the wrong sense. You know, they say, oh, well, that isn't placebo. This actually works. Well, the thing is, placebo sometimes actually works. We're just starting to figure out its limits. You know, so if we do find out its limits, is it ethical to use a placebo as a prescription, as they do in Germany? And what are the issues surrounding that? That would be a very interesting episode. And I think it's one that's uh, due. One topic I'd like to see. You know, I don't know. Surprise me. Ashwin and I keep talking about um, doing a drinking game where we just live blog watching episodes of um, Ancient Aliens while drinking. <laughs> and we keep threatening <laughs> to just foist <laughs> it on all y'all. But I think that'd be a good episode. Yeah, anytime that something a ridiculous yeah. is said, you got to drink. You can record a couple of those and just we'll just make it a recurring segment. That's what we were thinking. Idea in the beginning, yeah. but we couldn't figure out how to make it work with recording it and also being able to hear the actual show and not talking over each other. So I don't know. We'll yeah. figure it out. Hmm. I'm always down with the religious angles mm -hmm. um, because they're I think they're very informative and I think that. For people to be more into science and into thinking skeptically, they have to close the door of their close-mindedness when it comes to a lot of religious thought. That might be overgeneralizing, but it seems to me like if you're sort of like, well, this is how the world works because that's what the book says, you're probably not open to the other ways of thinking. So I think that if we can close that door first, then we can open the doors to more people thinking about science. Therefore, more shows critiquing, uh, critiquing the, yeah. the, the, that way of thinking. Scientology? Did we do one on Scientology? No, we were kept talking about that because that's one of my pet yeah. pokes. <laughs> yeah, or like or Mormonism or one of those like those that would be cool. I mean, it's been done to death, but you're yeah. just going down the list of South Park. <laughs> <laughs> my point exactly. They've already been done a thousand times, so it's it's sort of tough. But that that would be my answer. I can't think of a specific topic offhand, but um, you know me, I'm always loving talking about food and nutrition, and there's never a, a dearth of topics in, in nutrition pseudoscience to talk about. So anything that has to do with that, whether it's the latest fad or the latest supplement or something, I really like that. Um, also, when we do things like commonly held beliefs, like the one that we did talk about already, 
I like that show and I think that there's lots of those kinds of things out there mm. because there's so many things that even on a daily basis I go, oh, well, this this is this because of this. Is it? Really? I heard this once and I don't know where I heard it and why do I think this? So yeah. I'm sure we can come up with lots of topics and I like that too because it can it's something that a lot of people can relate to. You know, like not everybody is a big science fan or a science nerd they appreciate it, but they're not they don't follow actively or, or you know they don't follow the religious part of it actively but you know most of us have oh well expiration dates mean this you know we have that kind of idea in our head and so there's lots of those things in our daily lives that again we just don't ever question but critical mm -hmm. thinking can be applied to big questions and also just the small things and how we go about our day in life and so i like those kinds of things um i it would be a little more work than the than the movie reviews but i think a, a book review would be fun if we all read a book and took notes on it and then came back and recorded about it i think that would be fun i'm sure there's a lot of very very bananas books out there that we could read. <laughs> Probably that are if, very very thin and in very bold print. Yeah, if anyone wants to suggest a book for us to read, Brendan, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> also, what we read? Star Trek versus Star Wars. That'd be a good topic to talk about. Jem's like, face just fell like, uh, into his Science jazz. or what? <laughs> no, just how awesome those things are and which one's better. <laughs> <laughs> to, to piggyback on what Laura was saying, I think a show on basic critical thinking might be pretty cool. There's a lot of people out ah. there who were not taught how to think critically. Yeah. So just a, a basic primer Good on, on critical thinking. We haven't might... done that? I think we did uh, a little bit more towards the beginning of the show, but we could definitely revisit it. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. And Seems yeah, like the like thing to do. <laughs> basic and, and not having to apply it to like a high level yeah. sort of, oh, well, if you're doing a research thing, because, well, not no. everybody is, right? And just, Interesting, yeah. Yes. If you're reading the thing in the grocery store, the label on the back of the box of cereal, how do you critically think about that? Or just what's printed on the front of the box yeah. of cereal. Trans fats. Yeah, exactly. You know, oh man, I could just talk about nutrition forever. You have a blog I for that, don't you? Chips. I do. If anybody wants to read my nutrition ramblings and rantings, I'm at dietitianathome.wordpress.com. Woo! Awesome. Jim, what do you want to talk about in the future? Um, so, for Star me... Trek. Yeah, <laughs> Star Trek. Uh, I also think it's important to talk about some of the, like, racist pseudosciences, some of the pseudoscientists that have, like, really yeah. negative impacts on, oh, yeah. like, society. Like, there's this whole human biodiversity movement. I have a book on that. Oh, Boy, it's it awful. is something terrible. I'm, sure um, I'm sorry, Jim. I apologize. I don't. I'm not familiar with that. Could you very briefly explain what that so, means? So, human biodiversity is kind of a, a dog whistle word. Uh, it, you know, uh, biodiversity is the is like this sort of general idea that uh, different organisms uh, have different traits. Okay, and uh, some organisms may fare better in some environments than others uh, because of their difference in traits. Human biodiversity is basically saying black people are good for some things, white people are good for other things. Uh, it's eugenics. Are good for other th yeah. You know, it, it is just a, a, a repackaging of old, like, uh, eugenic ideas and uh, racist ideologies, given the trappings of, um, of, of science. I'd also like to talk about conflicts or perceived conflicts between science and philosophy, which usually amounts to famous scientists smack-talking philosophers. <laughs> 
So basically, you just want a show where you talk into the microphone and we laugh at you for an hour. Oh, I don't want that show, though. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Last question. <laughs> what is your favorite podcast other than this one? I think if I were stuck on a desert island and can only bring one episode of one podcast, I would pick Logically Critical's Wacky Bible Stories. So good. But the podcast I usually can't wait until Monday to listen to is The Reality Check. Great podcast. My favorite podcast, hands down, uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, with an honorable mention to Common Sense by Dan Carlin. Um, the guy is... Uh, like an absolute amazing podcaster um, and his you know passion for history really comes through and I wouldn't have really ever considered myself to be a history buff as it were um, but this guy I wish he was my high school history teacher like honestly um, he can take a story and contextualize it and and make you feel you know a part of it and make People from, you know, recent history to ancient history seem just a little bit more relatable. Um, strongly advise checking it out. Um, each podcast is about like four hours, though, depending on, the, on how heavy the topic is. But uh, it's well worth your time. Well, as Ashlyn found out on their way down to Skepticon 5, I don't really listen to too much else. I'm more of a reader, so... I'd have to say, uh, out of the blogs that I read, uh, the Skeptic Dailies. That's the one thing I always like reading because it's a bunch of articles that just cover so many different topics and you learn a lot from going through them. But as for other podcasts, I don't really listen to them. Welcome to Night Vale. Oh, God, that's a good show. <laughs> I love that show so much. I love surrealism. All uh, hail the glow too, cloud. It, I get what you guys, I see what cloud. you guys see All in it, hail. but I can't like it. It's just annoying. Ashlyn doesn't like it either. Uh, uh, are, are you going to the live show when it comes to Winnipeg really in October? Really hope to, yeah. yeah. T tickets are on sale now. I, I know, think, so. they're, they're almost out. Brendan and I are going. Unsurprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I'm not even going to push my own podcast. Oh, no. Oh. Uh, no, I won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mention your podcast. Okay. Get over oh, all right. I'll mention my damn podcast. Uh, the Fallaway Slam podcast, which, of course, talks about professional wrestling. But also, unsurprisingly, Chris Jericho, who's also a wrestler from Winnipeg, I might add, um, has a podcast called Talk is Jericho, which I very much enjoy. It's the only podcast that I'll go back to episodes I've already listened to and listen to them again because they're so damn entertaining. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be completely honest, I don't listen to any other podcasts other than ones that are related to wrestling or this one. So, uh, But all the other podcasts that I listen to are also related to wrestling. And I will give one shout out to a local podcast that's also on the UMFM here in town. Oh yeah. Loose Ropes Wrestling. So if you are into wrestling and you uh, have already listened to all of mine because they're so awesome... <laughs> Check out Loose Ropes Wrestling. They're also very good. Did they choose that name to be the most difficult thing to say multiple times? Loose Ropes Wrestling. Loose Ropes Wrestling. I don't know. Maybe. But <laughs> mine is easy to remember and easy to say. Fall Away Slam. Woo. Fall Away Slam. Fall Away Slam. It's easy. <laughs> very nice. I'll, I'll, I'll just have that What's the name in of the it? background. Fall, Fall Away, Away Slam. slam. <laughs> <laughs> Not so subliminal message. Yeah. My favorite go-to podcast right now is probably Sawbones, uh, which is oh, part of fun. the Maximum mm -hmm. Fun Network. Uh, I really enjoy it because it's all health and and uh, 
nutrition related stuff and so that's my favorite kind of stuff and it's enjoyable to listen to and sometimes the little baby is on it and it's kind of cute when she coos and goes like because oh. i can relate um <laughs> but you have Jim. I have, yeah. also i remember trying to record a podcast with a screaming cure around and that was no fun mm -hmm. uh but yeah i really like that one it's nice short episodes and it's interesting and generally they do a really good job of being skeptical and i like the history aspect of it that's that's a fun part one that I haven't listened to for a really long time, but I really did enjoy it was Stuff You Missed in History Class. Yes. Mm -hmm. That, I learned so much. I've forgotten it all now, but I <laughs> listened to that for hours and it was, I was just entranced because like, I've heard these names and I never knew what these people were and oh my gosh, now I know. So I really like that one as well. Uh, my favorite podcast tends to vary by how many episodes I can download and listen to in a row. Um, so I've worked my way through the catalog of, of most of my favorites. Um, but the current one that I'm kind of obsessed with is one that I never would have expected. It is an economics podcast, which sounds horrifyingly boring uh, to yep. me anyway. Uh, but it's Planet Money from NPR. It's and amazing. they take random things that you would expect to be so boring like the titles of these things put me to sleep but then they start talking and they tell this super compelling story about how this little piece of our everyday life fits into the economy and how it you know the fluctuations over time do all these bizarre things to culture and it's so fascinating and i love it cool uh for me my current favorite is dear hank and john because i find the green brothers delightful it is the darkest timeline of comedy podcasts. Uh, <laughs> God, you're a nerd. It is the uh, it is the podcast that they that they shelved under comedy because they didn't. That meant that they didn't have to pick a subcategory. <laughs> it, it gets pretty existential sometimes, but man, I I love those dudes. Uh, I also really enjoy Radio versus the Martians. It's a lot of fun. Uh, panel discussions of sci-fi, fantasy, and pop culture icons and tropes. It kind of organized loosely like this show. So, I think that's the end of our show. Woo! Thank you all for giving us 100 episodes. This was fun. Yeah. This I, I enjoyed the fun. questions. The question quest period. That was fun. Yeah. I had no idea what the hell was coming my way, and it was, uh, it was good. I was a little nervous, yeah. It was good. I think Jem needs a special shout-out here. So, when we started the podcast... He was very, very explicit about how this would not be his problem. And he was, he was not going to put any more work into it. And if we wanted to have a podcast, we could go for it. But it was, you know, not going to take up his life. Yeah. I remember and, that post. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, I was just going to be a panelist. Yeah. And then Robert moved away. And Greg took over. And then Greg moved away, and I didn't say no hard enough, so I got told that I was the executive producer now. Um, but through it all, Jem has done most of the work. Absolutely. <laughs> and true. all of the web stuff, and basically made sure that we had a show when no one could get it together. Jem <laughs> and we would my not have, podcasts. Yeah, we would not at all have a podcast <laughs> no. that lasted 100 episodes without no, him. No, not at all. Thank let's, you, Jem. Thanks, Jem quietly because we don't want to overload the mics. <laughs> oh, that's the saddest sounding pop. We'll fix it in post. Yeah. So Jem will fix yeah. it in post. Yeah. Yeah. Jem fixes it in post. I'm editing this episode. So twinned with that. Thank you, Laura. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Laura. Yay. Go Yay. Plan. 
Uh, well, well, thank you all. Uh, I, I couldn't do it without you. And I guess until next month. Here's to a hundred more! Yeah. Woo! Here's to some number more! <laughs> Cheers! You've been listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. If you have any questions or comments, or you'd like to suggest a topic for the show, send us an email at l-u-e-e-podcast at winnipegskeptics.com. If you want to show your support, give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, follow us on Twitter or Facebook, or just share the show with a friend. Our music is produced by the very talented Ian James, and this episode was edited by Jim Newman. Happy 100th. Happy 100th. Happy 100th. Happy 100th. Happy 100th. Thank you. Woo! 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, that is some, uh, well, it's definitely made of honey, that's for sure. I do not drink alcohol typically, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> okay. See, it's very good, and the problem is that you can just keep drinking it's it. It's really smooth, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm really drunk. Fred right. Penner's kind of a dick. I'm not hitting on your husband, trust me. Oh, that's fine. If you can make your way through that beard, have at her. (laughs) (laughs) Now to science. Buried in hummus-rich earth. Hummus? Hummus. Hummus. I I guess I I pronounce it the same as the hummus you eat. To you, they both taste the same. Yeah, basically. Hummus is delicious. Any domesticated animal. But you could use, say, a cat. Yeah, sure. Laura, I found a use for our cat. I hate you. I am taking your cat away. We're going to have to put our cat down tomorrow. Oh. I feel really bad about saying that now. Down. Make sure everybody's real, real sad before we carried on to another... There's some things that just vaguely say, oh, it'll increase sexual feelings and urges. We've That's just a really thing. big pyramid. Well, I, was, I was thinking a very <laughs> narrow, tall pyramid. No, that would be an obelisk. <laughs> but triangular pyramids are the best pyramids. No, you are categorically wrong. By what measure? Wrong. By the measure of symmetry. The, the most important measure of all. It's because... If you turn a, a square-based one into a die, it doesn't roll as well as a triangular-based one. Yeah, well, one. it's not a fair die, you know? Like, <laughs> your anyway, D5 can is I useless. finish my topic, please? Yeah. <laughs> but let me get back to this die thing. <laughs> Take my ions, bitch! <laughs> I said absolutely, because I have to do zero research for it, because I already know it all. It will be super sad if uh, Sir Paul McCartney dies before this episode goes out. That would be, that would be very, that would, oh, God. I don't even want to say it anymore. Actually, we should cut this whole thing. I don't really want to talk about it. But I will. I'm sorry. I was trying to have fun. I'll go back to drinking my methaglin. I hope you enjoy. Interesting fact, both Hitler and Charles Manson believed in a hollow earth theory. That uh, shows what kind of men they are. 
Yeah. Awesome there you go. men. Oh, wait. No. Awesome men? <laughs> Sorry. Cut that. that. Supposed to, yeah, that was supposed to be more sarcastic than it came out. <laughs> How much of the mead have you drunk? I don't know. You are sitting on the on the, on the side of the table of, uh, you know, the the axis of Lauren, so. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. This is, this is going weird places, this podcast. Holy shit. You, me, and Mussolini, baby. <laughs> nope. <laughs> That make not... you go to Hito? No. Well, okay. we're getting warmer. At least my ancestors are part of the world. Anyway, let's carry on to a different subject, shall yeah. we? Yeah. Yay! The Farscape universe. <laughs> Jeez. Can I get copies of these when we're done? <laughs> <laughs> Leslie has a nice voice, Ian. Yes, you're right. It's not what I said, Jim. Just let me copy those when we're done, okay? That's all. If you could ban one phrase one word or phrase from the internet, what would you ban? Oh. You have to pick just one. I know. Uh, scientists baffled. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty good. Scientists baffled by blank. Not allowed anymore. No more bafflement. <laughs> yes. Not a, he's not like a huge dick. He's just kind of, he's got a bit of an air of like, yeah, I'm Fred Penner kind of to him, you know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that could be fun. I think that's getting cut. <laughs> We're getting the E rating. I'm I sure she'll take you along. She just said for her only. Okay, just, just for our family. Aww. You guys are Polly. You'll marry me, right? <laughs> Wow. I want in on this time travel thing. I like you, Jem, but I don't know if I like you that much. Yeah. Well, Your beard enough. is not quite as magnificent as needs to be a male member of our clan. Get growing. I'm working on it. <laughs> anyway, if you couldn't have time travel. The doctor. Who's the best? The best doctor. Uh, that guy downtown at the Health Science Center? Uh, <laughs> but then when you said the doctor, it's like, oh, the, okay. The doctor. Because yeah, I think everybody else at the table just got that instinctively. Yeah. But he comes into my store every now and again, and he just kind of has that, like, don't you know who I am? Because, well, and I think because especially people our age who, like, you know, grew up with him, and it's like, you know, I think he thinks, like, he has dominion over all of us. <laughs> Which I would do his bidding if, I, if, you know, if he asked. So he does. He does. But he doesn't have to act like he does. This is going to take a lot of editing.